Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Com and definitely check out those shows as well. Lauren Lane is the author of Made in Manhattan. She's a New York Times bestselling author of romantic fiction with millions of books sold worldwide. Lauren has been featured on Inside Edition, The Wall Street Journal, BuzzFeed, The Skim, Oprah Magazine, Pop Sugar, and Cosmopolitan Magazine. She lives in New York City with her high school sweetheart. Welcome, Lauren. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Made in Manhattan. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like I am an expert because I am sitting here on the Upper East Side, so I feel like this story is sort of happening all around me as I was reading it. <laughs> oh, are you, so yeah, I'm I'm actually a Midtown girl myself, so yeah, like like I kind of like will roam around Upper East. Side. I'm like, I think this could be in theory what it's like to live here, but most of it comes from my imagination. <laughs> oh, I could have just we could have had coffee. I could have told you the whole thing. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> ne- next one I sat there. I do actually, you know, despite like I live in like Hell's Kitchen, which is a grittier area of Manhattan, but I, I always go to the uppers for my books. Like I've set one at Upper West Side and then I just keep coming back to the Upper East Side. I don't know if it's that like gossip girl energy. It's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful place to set stories. You know, there's so, there's still some fascination with these neighborhoods, you know, even though it's not very exciting. I mean, you know, it's just like life going on as, as normal here, but. It's true. It's true. I, I feel like there is, even for me, like a little bit of glamour. And then like you see people coming out of there, you know, like 
pretty brownstones and they're like, you know, they've got like their dog or like, you know, their dog is like pulling at the leash. You're like, oh yeah, they're just, they're people. Like everybody's just going about, going about their life. Yeah. The chaos inside is exactly yeah pretty similar (laughs) (laughs) despite the exterior. All right. Well, why don't you tell listeners a little about what Made Manhattan is about? Sure. Yeah. It's the easiest way I guess to describe it is sort of Pygmalion in reverse. And I mean reverse in that usually the story of Pygmalion is this guy who kind of makes over a, a rough around the edges lady um, or tries to disguise her as a lady. And for the longest time, I wanted to write a book where you had sort of this very like upper class prim woman who was tasked with taking this guy. And he's like very much, he's got like the beard and like the ponytail and like the jeans. He does not like his suits. And she has to basically get him boardroom ready as well as she's trying to sell him on New York as a city as well, because he's from Louisiana. So yeah, it's very, I, w- I, w- I would say it's a fairy tale sort of, which is, you know, it tends to be sort of my, my MO with my stories anyway, is just sort of like this, this fairy tale world. Like there's a, a lot that's maybe not realistic, but, but that's also kind of what I love about it. It's just a little escape. It is. It's a, it's a total escape. And I just loved it. I was kind of picturing the main character as the mom from Gossip Girl, you know, the, do you remember Blair's yeah, mom? Yes. I can't remember her name in real on. life. What's that? Spot on. That is spot on. Yeah. yeah. That's sort of like how I was picturing her, you know, blonde and prim and all <laughs> together. And then I don't know, maybe because his name was Kane, I was sort of picturing a Dean Kane kind of oh, more rugged. I, I love you mentioned Dean Kane. whatever people. And like this, I feel like ages me because I have a lot of readers that are like, you know, in their like young twenties and they know all these really attractive young 20 stars. And then they're like, well, who's your celebrity crush? I'm like, Dean Kane from yes. Lewis Clark back in the nineties. Totally. Like, I just loved him. So yeah, Dean Kane is, is accurate. He's always on my list. <laughs> <laughs> and I love this idea of trying to whip him into shape when he's so reluctant at first, right? This like strapping sexy guy with like his unbuttoned jeans and, you know, this one night stand or whatever's going on. And she's supposed to make him into boardroom material. It's like, it's like a total sitcom or movie. It's just like perfect. I just love the setup of this whole story. Yeah, I do. Like my favorite ones to write are for sure the ones where you can kind of picture them as a movie. I mean, that's always like the dream, right? To have it made into a movie, but sometimes even just like, and I'll even approach it writing it almost the way that I I would a screenplay, just because I think it's so easy to help readers picture every moment when we as writers are picturing it as a, as a movie as well. What made you decide for there to be loss in her life? Wait, I'm blanking on her. Her what is her name? What is her name? Violet. Violet. So Violet's parents have have died in a helicopter accident years prior, and she has she was raised by her step, no, uh, her great aunt, right? Her great aunt. grandma, and then now her grandma since passed on, right? And now she's like this Edith character, so her, her grandma's best friend. Grandma's best friend. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, I never really. <laughs> This sounds this sounds terrible. I had an editor once tell me, she's like, you have a lot of orphans in your in your books. And I'm like, I do write a lot of characters that don't have parents. And part of that, I think, is this is going to sound terrible because I love my own parents. I'm very close to them. But sometimes it's easier to not have parents in the story to have to write about. Because, you know, like a lot of times, like, like these characters would be calling their mom all the time or getting advice, you know, career advice from their dad, you know, whatever it may be. And sometimes I like to have them on their own a little bit just because it forces them, forces them to grow a little bit. In terms of this one though, I really, it, it was kind of a, a plot device and that I needed, I needed a reason why she would take on this challenge. Um, Cause it's not like Kane is like you said, he's very reluctant. He's not easy to get along with. And I'm like, okay, why, why would she be bothering with this? And I was thinking, you know, if Edith was really sort of all that she had left in the world and Edith asked this of her, she might be a little bit more inclined to sort of give up her life for several months to deal with this 
very reluctant man. <laughs> it's also kind of like, what was the Adam Sandler movie where he has the grandfather he didn't know he had? Mr. Deeds. Did you ever see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something uh, was, a little bit about that where someone is just plucked down into this crazy world that they didn't yeah. expect. He's not this, I mean, it's not the same person. Well, anyway, just that element of it. <laughs> not that you need a comparison. I also love this, like, these sexual undertones, right? This, like, very steamy, sort of quiet, subdued, like she's embarrassed to admit. And then they have this, um, not to give anything away, which I will not, but, well, I can't even find it now, but the scene where he's trying on all the clothes at what sounds like J. Crew men's store on something on Madison Avenue. <laughs> and like everything is fitting him perfectly. And and he said something like, and then she started feeling a little warm. <laughs> and then her voice was a little breathy. <laughs> it's so funny you say that because that actually, so my like early, early books were very steamy, like making this one look t- tame. Like they were like pure romance novel rated R. And then my last few ones leading up to Made in Manhattan were very much PG. And I feel like this was me. And I knew that like just the story seemed like it was going to be a little bit steamier. Um, But I don't know if it was like me, like having just written these PG ones and I'm like, how do I do this again? So yeah, it was, you can kind of tell like, as I get more and more into it, like as the story goes and I'm like, oh yeah, that's how you can kind of wind the the steamy thread throughout. (laughs) No, I got it. I was like, ooh, I'm like, you know, if you could lean into the book, you know, to like, what's going to happen now? So funny. Wait, so how you've written so many books. Tell me about your career, how you got started. Like, did you, were you, did you always want to be a writer? How did this whole thing happen? I did. Yeah. So I'm like one of those like classic kids that was like the bookworm, like from the second my parents, I think my mom read me Castle in the Attic when I was like five. And that was like the first chapter book experience. And then second grade, I discovered Boxcar Children. And I don't know, like it was just something like I just fell in love with so hard with books and I read everything. I was like the kid where my parents were like, can't bring a book to the dinner table. Or like we would go on vacation to like Disney World and I'd be like, one more chapter, one more chapter. And like, we got to go see Mickey. So books have always been like, that was, I was a bookworm 100%. And then, yeah, I, I thought like, well, there can be the only thing better than reading books must be writing them. So when people would ask what I wanted to be, I would say an author. Um, but of course, you know, it was, it took a little bit took a little bit longer than that. Seemed like I went to college. I was going to be an English major. I randomly got a poli-sci degree. And then after college, you know, I had to like pay the bills. So I I worked as a receptionist. And then I was actually an e-commerce and web marketing manager for T-Mobile. So like I had this, my entire twenties was sort of this whole other corporate career. And the whole time, especially, you know, when if I was like a little bit bored at work or I was just sick of my cubicle, it was always in the back of my head. Like, wouldn't it be so great if I could be a writer but it really like my my parents are like in the medical profession, like like I was very much like the black sheep on the kind of creative <laughs> side. And I was like, like real people don't do that, right? Like real people have a nine to five. And I just had this whole idea of what life was supposed to be. And I think I was about 28. And I just said, you know what? Like I am so, I'm so tired of being that woman that keeps talking about writing the book, but I had never really tried. So I <laughs> I got my laptop and every weekend I just I wrote like eight to ten thousand words. Just, you know, and sort of like on lunch breaks and early morning, I I learned to be an early morning person because I'm like, I got to get up early before I have to do the work thing. And yeah, I finally finished my, my first book only with you. And I did the whole query agent thing. It was just very like old fashioned, like suffer through the book. It was pretty terrible. Try to learn how to edit it. And then, you know, eventually got the agent and the book deal. Um, And then my husband and I just happened right around that same time. He got a job offer in New York City, so we, we moved there right as my right as I got the agent, and sort of we were taking off a little bit. Wait, where um, had, where had you been before that? We're we're both from Seattle, 
So okay. I wrote my first book in Seattle. Actually, my first two, like I have one that's set in the Seattle suburbs because like that's what I knew and then moved to New York City. And then that just became a huge part of my brand. Wait, how, probably- how, how long ago did this all start? When did you write your first book? My, I wrote my first book in, I wrote it probably in 2010, 2011, um, finished it in 2011. And that was uh, that summer. It was actually like, I think within days of having typed the end. Um, and it was also coincidentally right as our lease was coming up in Seattle. And we're like, what are we going to do? Are we going to buy a house and do like the kids suburb thing? And it was, I had just finished this book and I really wanted to quit my job and be a writer. And then my husband got this, this job offer in New York city and we'd never even been to New York, oh uh, but we kind of were like, you know what? Like if we don't do it now, we're never going to do it. And our life just took this, this wild turn. Um, first of all, like we crossed the country kind of uh, completely unplanned, very unplanned, very unorganized. And then, yeah, that I just buckled down. I'm like, you know what, can I have six months to try to like get this writing thing off the ground to like get the book deal and prove I can make money from it. And yeah, eventually it probably took closer to a year before I made any kind of money, but eventually it became my dream career. Wow. And so what is your timing? You're doing like two a year? Like what, what is your cadence of writing and selling and all of that? It slowed down quite a bit. It was for a while there when I, I was first kind of starting out. And this was also back when this was like the boom of eBooks, probably 20, 2013 through 2015, where in my publisher was like, we just want more eBooks. And the beauty of that is that you can get them out much quicker or my yeah. publisher could because you don't have to do the printing and the shipping and the shelf space. So I think I was doing like four to six for a while there, which was nuts. But I also think it was probably necessary to sort of get my- Four to six. I, yeah, for Books four to six, a was, year. <laughs> and now, you know, it didn't seem that, it really didn't seem that crazy at the time. Now that I've slowed down and I'm just trying to get three, I'm like, oh, that's, it's harder than, than I remember. But also COVID did, I think COVID threw <laughs> the way it did for pretty much everything. It threw a wrench in things a little bit. I went through a few months where I'm like, you know, I can't, I can't write romance right now. I can't write these lighthearted love stories. So I took a step back and I'm just now, I think, kind of, kind of getting back into that headspace a little yeah. bit. So yeah, I would say probably to answer your question, probably I'm hoping to do three this year and then four next year is is my plan. <laughs> That's a lot. Like so so are you sitting doing it all like are you writing words all day? Are you like how, no. how are you how are you getting that many words out in a given week? I do. So I'm I'm as I mentioned, when I, I was doing the corporate thing, I learned to be an early riser. Yeah. So I never consider myself a morning person, but I was like, okay, Lauren, if you're gonna have time to like wash and dry your hair and commute to work, you're going to have to start getting up at five to write the book. So ever since then, even though I don't have to get up at five anymore, that's still very much my my cadence. And I write first thing, especially if I'm on deadline, like it's like my husband's sweet. He makes the coffee and brings the coffee and I already have the laptop open. And I mostly, I just write in the morning until I hit whatever the word count is. And I have like my writing program will, if I put in like the target word count and my due date, it tells me like you need to write 3,000 no a day or 2,000 days. And I'm like, here we go. But I also, I, I write fairly quickly. And I know that sounds like really, really braggy, but it's just, I, I, I think I always have, and I don't know if it's because I'm a fast typer. It, it doesn't, it doesn't take as long as people think to do the first draft. For me, the part that, that really is sort of the, the more time consuming and the more difficult is after I've turned in that first draft, which takes me like three weeks, maybe, and then when it comes back from my editor, that's the point where I could spend like days and days just editing chapter one. So that's kind of, that's the harder part for me. And that looks a little different because I'm I'm not technically even at my computer the entire time. I may be sort of like outlining or brainstorming or jotting down notes, figuring out how to sort of finesse it. But yeah, I, I mostly, I write in the morning. I would say most days I'm, I'm done writing by about 9 a.m. 
Um, and then what do you do? <laughs> Good question. And I'm like, what do I do? Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of the business stuff that comes yes. just with, with all the things. There's, there's podcasts, there's the Zoom interviews, book clubs, newsletter. I'm a big fan of websites. So we actually, my husband and I launch a bunch of author websites sort of in our, our spare time. I think websites are important. So <laughs> that's, that's sort of my, my geeky side habit. And then lately I've been trying to just spend a little more time living. I was very much for a while there working kind of around the clock, constantly trying to build this Lauren Lane brand. And now I'm like trying to teach myself watercolor and I watch a little bit more TV than I used to allow myself and just relaxing, relaxing a little bit. So the mornings are kind of nuts. And then the afternoons are, you know, it's, it's the, the easier stuff, the Instagram and the newsletter and the, you know, getting back to reader emails, all those, the more fun things. Wow. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, grown-ups. The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery. Perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Can I hear the story of how you fell in love with your husband? I feel like I, you guys have the best relationship. I'm here. First of all, he's giving you this microphone. He's like, I feel like he's so doting. I don't know. I got to meet this guy. Tell me about him. He what? is. He's like, he's like ridiculously, and he cooks too. That's the other thing. Like, not only does he cook, he like makes really good food. And I'm like, how did I get so lucky? Um, but we actually we met when we were 15 in high school. We started dating when we were 17, also in high school, and we have been together ever since. So here we are, oh we're high gosh. school sweethearts. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas it's kind of one of those things. And I am, we're, I'm four months older than him, but I am like a, a grade ahead in school. So when we first like were 
properly like, okay, like let's actually start dating. I was getting ready to graduate from high school and he was, you know, a junior and I had already been accepted to college. I was, we were in Seattle. I was going to college in California. And I think in the back of my head, this sounds very unromantic, but I was kind of like, Oh, like statistically, like this isn't going to last, but you know, like let's, as long as it's, you know, like good and we're getting along and we can kind of manage like the phone call thing, let's just keep going. And it never no, I don't want to say it was it was easy in that first year, but never they ended. Up <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, like, like that's sort of his like joke. He's like, yeah, people ask like, how you doing? I'm like, you just keep going. Like we just kept kept dating somehow. Um, I I feel really lucky because it's yeah, he's a great it's so guy. And I'm, it's like, what's the secret to have a long marriage? It's like just not breaking up. That's, he's actually he's a comedian and he has a joke where sort of he's like, you just like you don't break up. I'm like that's oh. so simple. <laughs> People want marital advice. That's how you do it. But yeah, we're I'm just one of the lucky ones that found one of the really good ones when he was 15. I snatched him off the market. <laughs> I'm interested in in your just wait first. What what is the name of the program you use that um, calculates your word count? That's interesting. I use Ulysses. So that is a Mac only program. I would also say I'm pretty sure Scrivener, which yeah, is a common, I'm pretty, I think Scrivener does that as well, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, Ulysses, it's great. Every project I, I open it up and I know that my first drafts are usually 60,000 words, um, which is short, but I usually write my first one's pretty short. And I put that in and I put my due date and it's fantastic because then I don't have to worry. Like if I have a lot of time, it may be like, you need to write you know, 40 words today. I'm like, I can do it. Most often I, I wait until the end and I tend to do bigger bursts. Um, oh, and I would also say I'm not one of those people. I like, I like to get on this soapbox when I can. I think there's this common misperception, especially for new authors that you have to write every day. And you have a lot of very, very successful writers that advocate for that. Like I think Stephen King and, you know, Nora Roberts, all these huge names, James Patterson, that is their routine is they write a little bit every day and that's how they do it. And I subscribe to that as well, but I don't, I don't do that. I go like many, many weeks where I won't write a single word. And then when inspiration strikes, I may write, you know, 10,000 words or like 18,000 words in a day. So not, if anybody's out there thinking they have to write every day, you don't have to, you can write in bursts if you want. That's sort of my, my strange rhythm. So what is your secret to sort of getting to this whole market? Like you, you allocate your day to as you said, the book clubs and the social media and all this stuff. And there is like so much of a huge business component and marketing of the product, right. right? First is just the production of the product. Then it's the marketing of the product. How do you do it? Like, what is the secret sauce? What do you think? You know, it's like, this is a, I feel like this is easy answer. It's harder now than ever. And I feel like every author probably thinks like that whatever period they're in is the most difficult, but the romance in particular is so saturated. Like there's just every single week books usually come out on Tuesday and me as a reader, you know, if I go in looking for, you know, a rom-com or something light, like there's just so many choices. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if I'm having this, then, you know, readers are having this, the same issue of like, where do you, where do you start when there's 20 new options every single week? Um, so I think kind of, I've been back and forth. Um, I actually took a social media hiatus for like a year and a half, which was nuts. Like, I mean, I full on shut everything down. I just wasn't on social media kind of thinking like, you know, can, can I just focus on the books? Can I just sort of, you know, that's sort of the idea. Like if you build it, they will come. And I think I am back on Instagram now. I, I think, you know, it really is just writing the best book possible. And yes, you do have to do some, some amount of marketing. I'm not one of two things you can just like completely live in a cave and you never send a newsletter and, and make it. But yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of prioritizing the stories first 
Um, so if that means that I go months without sending my newsletter or doing an Instagram story because I'm in the writing cave, I allow myself to do that because I think it makes the book stronger. Um, and then I'm a I'm I'm an advocate for for sort of being okay doing things differently. Um, not you know different for different sake, but in a world where so many things look exactly the same, you know, where Instagram feeds look the same. I'm like everybody's doing the same. I'm not on TikTok. I try, I try TikTok for like a, a hot minute, but you know, we're like where there, the TikTok, like there's a trending audio and all those things. Anytime I can sort of say, okay, if that's, if that's what everybody else is doing, how can I stand out even a little tiny bit just to somehow make yourself memorable? I guess that's the, after that ramble, the way that I would recommend figure out like what you can do to make yourself memorable. How can you stand out from other authors in your genre? Because no matter what genre we're writing in, whether it's children's book or fantasy or sci-fi, thrillers, romance, there's thousands in romance. There's millions of other authors trying to do the same thing. So how can you kind of build your core audience? So interesting. I love that. Do you think there should be, like, some, I feel the same way sometimes, like there are just so many books and you know, I try really hard to promote as many books as I can to like help with curation or whatever, but it is, it can be overwhelming. But on the other side, there are still so many other people who have great books that haven't even been published. Like there's, you know what I mean? Like, so when I, sometimes I'm like, well, maybe there's just too much supply, right? There's like this over abundance of supply that can't, there's not enough demand for, there's too much, right? There's too much. And yet there's still so much more production possibility like, I, I don't know. You don't want to like ever have people stop writing all these books. Right? I want them, I want all the great books to come out and I want people to keep reading. Are people reading enough? Or maybe people are just reading less or, or maybe I shouldn't even worry about it. <laughs> I know like, like that could have come straight from my own head. Cause I have the same thought where like, there's so many books and sometimes I'm like, I just wish there were like the, the good old days. It's like, I sometimes let myself go back there to back when I was like in my teen years and I would go to Barnes and Nobles or Borders like <laughs> back in the day. And like, there would just be like a couple shelves of romance and I would know my favorite authors and there would maybe be six new releases a month or whatever it was. And, you know, I think it was probably easier, but I try to remember the flip side is that there were so, so few authors that were getting a chance back then, you know, because there was the gatekeepers and all these these different things. Whereas now that we do have like the beauty of self-publishing, yes, that means there's a lot more competition, but it also means that there's so many more stories that can make it into the hands of readers. And I, I, I try to focus on that. I'm like, you know what? It really does come down to the stories and the readers. And I really believe that there are just these pockets of readers that will love what you're writing. You know, like we don't all have to be number one, New York times bestsellers in order to be successful is just finding your readers that like what you were putting out there on a consistent basis. I love that. That's so great. Yes. Loyal <laughs> it sounds readers. really zen right now. I mean, catch me again sometimes in release week. I'm like, I'm not doing it as well as so-and-so. And I, I hate when I get in that mindset. So I've, I have like a whole notebook of ways to like kind of reframe whenever I, I get that sense of discouragement. Yeah. You should write that article. Can you write that up? I have like I this little <laughs> website called, um, not website, but I have a, a medium publication called Moms of Time to Write. And we have all these essays by authors a lot of the time. Um, oh, but you should write that. You should totally write that. I, like, I want to read that personally. I will write that into my to-do list right now. Yeah. You can do that after your morning writing and like, you know, Friday or something. Perfect. <laughs> so what's your next book going to be about? My next book, so I'm I'm returning to my roots a little bit of I'm going back in this. Made in Manhattan was a little bit steamy. I've got a book out in July called You Again. And You Again, I don't know like where it came from. It's like the steamiest thing I have ever written. It's just, I'm like, oh, I hope my mom doesn't read this one. Uh, but it's it's very much a sort of 
I, I would describe it as like a classic love story. It's just a guy and girl in New York and they meet at a bar and they just keep running into each other, like at their workplace, you know, mutual friends, wedding, and they're, they're complete opposites. They don't get along, but of course, spoiler alert, opposites attract. Um, and it was, you know, it was just fun. It's, I think there's a lot of pressure sometimes, or I put pressure on myself to write these really um, high concept books where it's like the Pygmalion in reverse or, you know, something that's like a movie pitch worthy. And sometimes I just, like I said, I want to write the love story and that's what I sat down to do. And it sort of, you know, it flew out of me. So that one is out in mid-July. Don't know when exactly yet, but that's just a fun, fun romance. It reminds me of like a, almost like a really steamy Hallmark movie mm-hmm. type of thing where it's, it's, you know, like a, a little bit simpler. There's not a ton of side characters and like plot and like dangerous stuff going on. It's just two people living in New York. Love it. One last question on the marketing side. You said you do, you do a lot of author websites. What do you think it's important for authors to include in their websites? Or oh. what characteristics? <laughs> Somebody hold me back. I could go on forever. The The short version is that you really only need six pages. You need your homepage, your books page, your contact page. You need to have an individual like book page template. So each story that you write needs its own book page. And that is probably my biggest not pet peeve, but that's one thing that I see a lot of people doing is they'll put all their books on one page and just call it books. But you want to have an individual page so that on social media or your newsletter, you can link to each one individually. So that's my biggest bit of advice. And then a newsletter. And I think I named five. I might be forgetting one. Uh, But in terms of, of sort of strategy, it's focus on what your readers want. And I see a lot of authors will go in there with sort of like this grand vision of what they think makes a great website. And I'm sure it's beautiful, but like, I know for me, the number one web or number one page on my own website is just my reading order. And it's literally just like a white page with black text of my books in order. And that's what the readers want. So I always encourage them to pay attention, pay attention to your data. Cause you can get free Google analytics. You'll be able to see which pages your readers want and, and make sure that that's easy to find. It's really kind of kind of as simple as that. And then on top of that, I I do love the idea of branding a little bit, sort of what we were just talking about in terms of what makes you different. Like why would somebody want to read your book instead of somebody else's, excuse me, somebody else's, how can you convey that on your website? So for me, it's a lot of New York pictures because I have this sort of very like fancy, you know, like upscale fantasy New York brand. But if yours is a small town, make sure that that says that on your homepage so that somebody coming in can say, okay, yes, that's, that's what I am looking for. As opposed to just a list of your books, um, which is great. But if nobody's ever heard of you before, chances are they're not going to go through and click on each one. They want, they want the highlight reel. Like, who are you? What can I expect from your stories? I could go on forever. (laughs) That's that's, that's another thing you should, you should, this is really great. I might be actually offering some classes called Z classes. I have this whole, I have like a publishing company and a website and podcast network and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, but I want to launch some classes soon. So I feel like you should teach a class in like author marketing. Like it's so important and everyone is obsessed with this right now. Yeah. I don't know if you want to talk after this. (laughs) I want to take your class. I want to listen to everything you say, you know, as an author myself. So it's so funny. Um, you mentioned like you've got all these things going on, which I had kind of known because, you know, I'd like done my research and I followed you for a while, but my husband actually, he saw this, I had it on the calendar and he went to your website and he knew, he like knew more about you than I did before this podcast. So I'm telling was, you, I love you know. this husband of yours. <laughs> I feel like we all have to go. I have a younger husband too, much younger than a couple of months. He's like, it's my second husband, but he's like six years younger. Anyway, we're all in New York. We should all meet up sometime. Have a yes. drink, talk book marketing <laughs> and all this stuff. And my <laughs> like, husband cooks. <laughs> and I can find out if Upper East Side, you can tell me if I'm even remotely close. 
Like when I walk by, like, look like I, I'm probably like really creepy now that I think about it. Like sometimes I'll like cruise down like 84th street or whatever, just like, you know, like looking up at all the brownstones, trying to like my notebook, trying to figure out like what's going on in there. So, oh my gosh. You have to come over. I have to like, <laughs> I have to like take you on a tour of my friend's house or something. <laughs> I've lived here my whole life. I know a lot of people. All right. We're going to do, we're going to do fun stuff. Perfect. If you want, if you want, <laughs> anyway. All right. Thank you so much. I'm, this was really fun. I actually learned a lot. That was great. I shouldn't say actually. I learned a lot. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> and thank you for Made in Manhattan. Really fun. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I had the best time. All right. Say hi to mm-hmm. your husband. <laughs> well, will. I will. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 